in 1 Samuel 3 today, 1 Samuel 3. Now, most of you know my name is, is Sam, my full name um, being Samuel. Um, and when I was younger, uh, I always thought that it was awesome that I was one of the few that um, had a book of the Bible um, named after me. A few of you are still getting that. Not I was named after a character in the Bible. The Bible was named after me, right? As far as I'm aware, I was not named after the prophet Samuel, but... Um, I saw, I always just found that cool. And today we're going to look at a very small portion of Samuel's life. Now, it, it's called First and Second Samuel because he was the one who wrote it. And Samuel is one of the most famous prophets of Old Testament era, right? He was a priest, he was a prophet, and he would um, go on to anoint at least two kings, that being um, Saul and then David. Um, and he did quite a lot in his life, but his life had a very interesting beginning, and before I even jump into the scripture passage, I want to walk you guys through what's actually the first two chapters of the book of First Samuel. So Samuel's mother's name is Hannah, okay? Now Hannah was one of many wives of, of this particular person whose name is told to us in First Samuel, I just don't remember it, go look it up if you would like to. And she was barren. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, in that day and age, if you could not bear children as a woman, your worth was significantly decreased. Now, we read, we know that Hannah's husband loved her, so it wasn't like he was just going to kick her out. But we also read that she was being um, what we would call bullied by the other wives because they all could bear children, and she could not. And I know there are people here, whether listening online or, or, or here in this room, who, who have struggled with that same, uh, that same thing. And um, Hannah was desperate. And so Hannah did the one thing that I would caution us all to not do. Do not make a pact with God unless you 100% are going to keep it. Because God always holds up his end of the bargain, and you as well are always then expected to hold up your end of the bargain. So Hannah goes to the temple with her husband and the other wives on the time when they're supposed to go, and she makes a deal with God. Let me bear a child, and I will give him to you. Now, you might say, well, yeah, as a Christian parent, we should always give our children to God, right? It's not what Hannah meant. At the time, at the appropriate time, that being when Samuel would be done breastfeeding, right? So within a couple of years of Samuel being born, Hannah would have to go to the temple and give that son to the temple. Not as a sacrifice. We're not talking Abraham and Isaac here. But give Samuel away to see him maybe on the times, maybe, when they went to the temple. That was the pact Hannah makes with God. God holds up his end of the bargain. And Hannah gets pregnant. And Hannah bears a son and they name him Samuel. Meaning, either gift from God or sent from God. So that's right, everybody. I am your gift from God. No. But, and Hannah's faced with a tough choice because she loves her son. 
Can you imagine? She's gone years not been able to bear a child, and finally she does. And at his three-year-old mark, if I remember the story correctly, she has to give him away. Maybe to never see him again. But Hannah, displaying a faith unlike many that we see throughout the Bible, does exactly what she said she would do. God held up, held up his end of the bargain. Hannah held, held up hers. Now, God does not promise her that if she does this, he's going to bless her with other children. But he does anyway. And Hannah goes on and has multiple children, and it's great, right? But this one's not about Hannah. But I wanted to tell you about where Samuel comes from. And we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. It reads like this. My onion pages are. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place. Now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lay down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Before I actually jump again into the sermon, let me tell you how the story ends. Samuel goes and lays down. God calls again. Samuel answers God. God tells him somewhat of the future, some vague ideas about what's going to happen in the next little bit of time. And Samuel goes on to become this incredible man of God, right? So let's talk about this. If you have a bulletin and you've got a note sheet, number one on your note sheets, what he asks. You are going to get tired of hearing me say this because I've said it countless times over the past six years. You are called to do what you are told, when you are told, in the place you are told. What, where, and when. That is what you are called to do. And it's the same with God. So I ask you, when this whole thing begins... What was Samuel doing? This is not a rhetorical question. It's right there in verse 1. You can go back a slide. You can, even, you can have the answers to the test. What was Samuel doing when God calls to him? He was asleep. Well, trying to sleep. But that's, yes, and we're going to get to that. What else was he doing? Ministering to Eli and the Lord. What was he told to do? He was at the temple to do just that. So that's what he was doing. I like that you said laying down. We're going to get there in just a second because I think that's important too. Not just that he was asleep. We'll talk about it. He was doing what he was supposed to. Was he diligently, non-ending, reading the Bible, seeking after God for the specific answer? No. Was he even trying to get God's attention necessarily? No. He was doing 
what God told him to do. Now, I want to preface that by saying it is not wrong of us to seek God, whether in our quiet times and in scripture reading and stuff like that. We're actually going to get to that. But when the, what Samuel is doing as a whole is just what he was told to do. Where he was told to do it, in the temple, when? At a young age, he's a, the, now the boy Samuel. If Samuel is 30 plus years old, it's not going to say now the boy Samuel, especially because it's Samuel who wrote this. And if I was, if I was 29 years old and I wanted to say something about when I was, you know, even 20, I would not write, now when Samuel was a boy, right? When Samuel was a young strapping man of 20, right? So he's young. How young? We don't know, right? We don't know. But he's not that old. And he is doing what he has been told to do in the place he has been told to do it when he was told to do it. Read throughout scripture. When God works in somebody's life, how often is it when they have been not doing those things? Almost never. God has given each and every one of us a purpose. Now, I don't know what all of your purposes are. Or as I like to say when I'm just talking, I don't know what all of your purposes are. I can barely figure out what mine is most of the time. Right? If you come to me and you're like, Pastor, I want you to pray, I will pray. I'll add you to my prayer list and I will pray. But I tell you this, God's probably not going to tell me. He's going to tell you. Right? But I guarantee you this, if you still have foot on this earth, if you can still breathe, take a breath, if your heart is still pumping, his purposes for you are not yet done. His purposes for you are not done until he calls you home. That's when the purpose is done. And so Samuel, at this point in time, is fulfilling his purpose. The other thing I want to point out is that in, from that I get, Samuel's not very distracted yet. He's doing what he's told to do. Now, my wife, I, I should have put the picture in the PowerPoint. It's not of you, it's of me. I should have put the picture in the PowerPoint, and I didn't. But a couple of nights ago, took a picture of me. I was sitting in a chair in front of our TV in our living room. On the TV, I was playing MLB The Show 23. It's a baseball video game. On the computer was either basketball or hockey. I do not remember which. And my phone was in front of me, in which I was playing an entirely different game as well. And her caption on it, on it was, the stimuli king. I have ADHD. I need stimulus. I can't, I, I hate it. When there's not something going on, something, at least in the background, I can't stand it. Church, I'm a distracted and easily distractible person. You all know that. If somebody right here wanted to completely derail this service, mention almost anything, and I'll go off on it. Right? And so, I'm distracted easily. And so oftentimes, quite frankly, I either miss what God is trying to say or it's a whole lot harder for me to hear it because I'm too easily distracted. And you know who knows that? Satan. And boy, he loves to distract me. He loves to distract all of us. I see Samuel is focused on God here because he's doing what he's supposed to do. 
and he's learning underneath Eli. Number two on your note sheets, number two. An unexpected time. An unexpected time. This is where it comes in that he was lying down. So, when Samuel, when God, excuse me, actually speaks to Samuel, actually does the speaking, what is he doing? Lying down. He's trying to sleep. How many of you in here love sleep? Right? I preach this sermon. I go up to Elderwood every Saturday uh, and do a little service up there for them. And I preached this up there with them. And I said, how many of you guys like to sleep? And not a single one of them old folks put their hands in the air. And I'm like, well, it's all you do, so maybe you should. No, that's not true. <laughs> I love sleep. I love sleep. Boy, one of my favorite things to do is a nice 15 to 20 minute nap. And I set a timer, right? It's not a, set a timer around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Set that timer and take a nice nap. Oh, it's great stuff. I look forward to going to bed at night. I do not look forward to getting up in the morning for a lot of reasons, the major one of which is that I have to get out of bed and I'm done sleeping. When God wants to get my attention, the first thing he takes away from me is my sleep. He won't let me sleep. Now, am I saying I've gone days without sleeping? No. He allows me to get the required amounts of sleep to continue living and functioning. But I can look back at the major times in my life when either a mate, God was trying to tell me something major or get me to do something or, or something along those lines. And it is always punctuated by sleepless nights. Always. I have learned when I can't sleep, I should go talk to God. And not just because, as my dad would say, if you start praying, Satan will come and put you to sleep. When we were kids, I know I've told you this before, but when we were kids, if we struggled to sleep, my dad came into our room. Maddie, can you come here, please? Stand in front of the camera here. You're me, okay? I'm my dad, right? Hi, my name's David. He'd get this close to us, and he'd go, start praying. Satan will put you to sleep. And then he'd leave the room. And so now you're laying in bed, and you're like, should I start praying or not? I don't want Satan to come. That's not true. You can sit down. Thank you. No, what he did tell us was that oftentimes if it is Satan or something like that that is keeping us awake, when we start praying, oftentimes we will fall asleep. And I will say that if you are struggling with sleeplessness, don't count sheep. Start counting your blessings and thanking God for your blessings. I usually get to about 10 before I'm conked out. When that doesn't work is when I really know God's trying to get my attention. So here's Samuel trying to sleep. That thing that just about everybody loves. One of the major things that is required of us for living. Right? You can go, I think I read it's like 72 hours and then you start hallucinating and eventually die if you don't sleep. Your brain and body literally will shut down without sleep. And so, Samuel's just trying to do the natural thing. And God shows up. Now, God does not often speak in a booming voice anymore, right? We have the Bible. He did speak to Samuel. Notice something else, and this is where it's so important to be quiet. Not a rhetorical question, 
What kind of voice does God speak in? A still small voice. You don't hear a still small voice when there's a whole lot of sound going around, right? If I may, my, my mom has a voice doesn't cut through anything. She could be shouting and you won't hear her. My dad, on the other hand, cuts through quite a lot. We're just talking and people are like, I can hear you, you're shouting. And I'm like, I'm not shouting. That's not me shouting. What do you mean? Certain voices cut through things. God's voice could cut through. It could if he wanted it to. But if it did, you wouldn't be listening anyway. God speaks in a still, small voice, and so in order to hear it, you have to be quiet. And I don't mean just you. I mean the world around you has to be quiet. Pastor, how can you get the world around you quiet with everything that's going on nowadays? Find somewhere. You have control over the electronics in your house. Set aside a room that is electronic-free if you need to. My uncle likes to go to the train tracks, right? I like to go hiking or on a walk, right? You have to kind of get out of the town or the city in order to do that. It's easy if you want to, to shut off the world's sound. It's a whole other story to shut off the sound in here. Because I'm about to say something that's highly controversial yet highly true. If you are too praying too much, you will not hear the voice of God. What do I mean by that? Because let me explain, because we're supposed to pray, right? Pray without ceasing. If you are doing all the talking, you will not hear God's voice. You won't hear it. So as you pray, it's supposed to be a conversation. How about stop talking and let God do some of it? Samuel is quiet. He's resting. And God shows up. And then there's this great misunderstanding. We can't blame Samuel, right? He's a boy. And we read in verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. Samuel is not yet even familiar with God. Okay. So it makes sense that when he hears a voice calling to him, his first thought is going to be, Eli needs me. We even read Samuel even kind of, um, uh, like, hedges it by adding in verse 2, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. He's like, just in case you guys are going to judge me for thinking it's Eli instead of God that's talking to me, know that my master there, Eli, is pretty much blind. He's old. He can't do anything without me. So I heard a voice calling my name and I immediately went, oh, he needs my help. Makes sense to me. And this happens it's going to happen a total of four times, but we read it three times here. And each time Samuel goes to Eli, and even Eli, who, right, has been a prophet, priest, he's been great. He messed up with his sons. Go back and read that if you'd like to. But, um, right, he doesn't even realize it's God the first two times. However, I do want to ask, and again, not a rhetorical question. I like this audience participation Participation today. Who is the one that realized it was God speaking? Eli, not Samuel. We need people in our lives 
who can help us see our blind spots. Just about everybody in here has driven a vehicle of some kind, right? And I don't care how many mirrors you put on that thing, there will always be blind spots. And the bigger the vehicle, the larger and more prevalent the blind spots. I have a clear memory, and I know we have a couple of either current truck drivers or, 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 or retired truck drivers here. I have a clear memory. They brought a tractor trailer into our, uh, uh, our school one day. They drove it right through the front door. No, that's not true. They parked it, right? And we were allowed, we, we got in it and stuff like that because they wanted to show us what they would call the no zones, right? And they parked four cars, one on each side, one in the front, one in the back. It said, get in, look in your mirrors, lean out the window, all that kind of stuff that you want to. You could not see those cars. You couldn't see them. No matter what you did, you could not see them. They were in a no-zone. That has stuck with me to this day. I can't stand it when I see people driving and get next to a tractor trailer and just go the same speed as that tractor trailer. I'm like, you're going to cause an accident, sir. And they usually end up trapping me because that tractor trailer's going, you know, 65, and we're going 70. And I'm like, all right, here we go. We're going to pass this thing. And then they slow down. And now I'm either stuck going 60 or stuck in the no zone as well. Today's sermon, let's all be better drivers. No. Um, but the fact of the matter is that that applies to life as well. I'm not going to call us all tractor trailers because I think some people might take offense to that. But we all have blind spots, areas we can't see in our lives, both good and bad sometimes, right? And we need people that can see us from a different perspective that can. We need wise people to show us what we can't already hear. Or sometimes we need the wise person to say, I'll give, you already know what to do. I'll give you a prime example, right? My uncle, right, has been a pastor for 40 plus years, right? And he's one of my accountability people. And every once in a while, I will call him up and I will say, man, that Lori Moore is just getting on my nerves. No, right? But something's going on and I can't take it anymore and I just want to lash out irrationally. And I'll talk to him, and he lets me just talk and spew and go. And then at the end of it, he goes, are you going to do the right thing? And I go, yeah, I'm going to do the right thing. And he goes, good, call me if you need me. Sometimes you just need somebody to say, are you going to do the right thing? To you already know what it is. You already know what the path you're supposed to take is. And sometimes that wise wisdom is not, well, let me teach you what it is. It's, are you going to do it or not? Rubber meets the road, are you going to do it or not? Samuel, as a young boy, has Eli in his life to show him the right way. And Eli goes, time out. I haven't called you, but this has happened three times now. Next time, talk to God instead of me. So, let's apply this to our lives, shall we? What, when, and where? Consistently ask yourself the question, what, when, and where? Do not be concerned with what God has for you next. Be concerned with what God has for you now. There is a massive difference in the thought process of those two things, right? If I keep going, okay, God, what do you have for me next? Next. 
I'll never be the pastor he's called me to be. Even if what he has for me next involves this church, I'm still not going to be the pastor he wants me to be. Now, I am not saying that we shouldn't go. Like, for instance, mom and I have been talking, planning about moving youth group to twice a month for a while now. We either didn't have the people or we didn't have the date and time. We didn't have the space, all that kind of stuff, right? But we've been discussing it for a while now. I am not saying don't think about at all what comes next. I am saying that your primary focus should be now. It should be now. Mom and I sat down a couple of weeks ago and planned out the big events for the whole year. We looked at the calendar, planned out the big events for the whole year. It was great. It wasn't great. I hate doing that. I can't stand it. I don't like to think very far in advance, and not because I'm some holier-than-thou person. It's just I don't like to do it. Quite frankly, I don't like to think about now either, though. So, right? But the fact of the matter is, I'm not saying it's wrong to plan. I am saying that if your primary focus is planning for the future, then you're missing what God has for you now. And that is the most important thing. We cross those bridges when we get to them. We do our best to get ready. But it's what God has for us right now that matters. It comes down to this. And this is really what it comes down to with that. Do you have enough faith in God that he's going to get you through whatever comes next? Jesus talks about it multiple times. But um, the idea of, right... The, the, the birds and stuff like that, right? They don't they, they build their nests and, and stuff, but they don't have massive storehouses of food saved somewhere. I'm not saying that's bad to buy in bulk. I buy in bulk. It's significantly cheaper in the long run to buy a family pack of chicken than it is to buy two chicken breasts, right? I'm not saying it's bad to buy in bulk. I am saying that, you know, to stockpile 30 years worth of food, it's probably worthless since you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow right? It comes down to, do you trust God enough to take care of you in the future and now? Now, I'm also not saying we shouldn't be good stewards of things, right? If you've got a savings account, I'm not telling you to go blow it all right this second, right? I am saying, though, that if you've got some extra, maybe it's time for you to give it to where God wants you to give it, whatever that may be. Just saying. Right. This is not about it's a bad thing to plan. It can be wise to plan. This is about do you trust and have enough faith in God that he's going to take care of you tomorrow and today and 10 years from now when you are working wisely with the things he has given to you. Secondly, seek wise godly counsel. Seek it out. You have to seek it out. It's not just going to come to you sitting at home, right? I'm not saying that sometimes, there have been times when I've been sitting at home and I either turn on a sermon or I'm listening to music or something like that or I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see something. I'm not saying God can't. I am saying, though, that the vast majority of wise counsel I have gotten has not been while I was sitting on my hands. It was when I went and asked for it, both of God and of godly men and women. Seek wise, godly counsel. And I will tell you this, it will oftentimes be what you do not want to hear. What you do not want to hear. And I'm going to stand here and be honest with you. Sometimes, 
Sometimes I can take good, wise, godly counsel. But there are quite a lot of times when I struggle with it. Because it speaks to the parts of me I don't like. It speaks to the parts of me that I wish people didn't see. And it speaks to my own faithlessness and doubt. It's not usually fun to get godly, wise counsel. It's needed. And then lastly, here's your practical. And if you've been at our men and women's group the past couple of weeks, you'll be familiar with this one. And if you haven't, I encourage you to come out first and third Wednesdays of the month at 6 o'clock. Spend quiet time with God every day. Every single day. It does not have to be 20 minutes, an hour, four hours, anything like that. Now, on the times when it is, that's great. When you're just walking in with God and you're just in his presence and you're quiet before him and you look up and 30 minutes have gone by and you're like, holy cow. That's not how it ends up most of the time. Our fault, not his, but you know. But spend just a short, small amount of time every day with him. Your drive to work, when you get up in the morning, drive home from work, when you are having your morning coffee, right? Nothing else going on around you. Leave the phone somewhere else. And if you have to have it with you because, you know, you're driving to work or whatever, put it on silent next to you. Trust that if something bad happens, it's okay that you spent those few minutes with God. Somebody once asked me, and this might be, a lot of you might go, oh my gosh, what's going to happen if somebody dies while you're away on vacation? Because when I'm on vacation, I don't answer my phone. I don't. And somebody said, well, what would happen if somebody died? And I looked at them and said, guess what? They're probably going to be dead when I get back too. So what do you want me to do? I can't raise people from the dead. God didn't give me that power. And then they switched it and they went, they literally asked me, well, what if the church burns down while you're gone? What do you want me to do? Get a bucket? We'll deal with it when we get back. I'm not gone that long. I trust that God's going to take care of the issues. Does that mean something bad can't happen? No, it does not. I am not going to stand up here and say, nothing bad will happen in the lives of the people around you while you were doing your quiet time. That would be dumb. God never promises that, and I'm sure not going to. I will promise you, though, that if something bad does happen, God's already got it. And those five minutes you spent quiet with him aren't going to change something. Because God's already got it. This whole thing comes down to, do you trust that God is in control or not? Samuel did. Eli did. Will you? to do what you're told to do in order to hear the voice of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. I thank you that we can come together and worship you again as always. I thank you that we live in a place where we can do it with freedom. And Father, I praise you that while you don't speak in an audible voice to us anymore, you gave us your word and you gave us the Holy Spirit who impresses things upon us, but we have to be quiet in order to hear them. We have to be resting in you. I pray you would help each and every one of us to do it here over the next weeks, months, years, our lifetime. It's in the name of your son that we pray, amen.
and amen.